this episode, I think it would be best if we provide a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about loss and grief this episode, and we're going to be talking about death of partners and death of people that you care about. And if that's not something that you can handle, then perhaps checking out one of our previous episodes would be a good idea. Yeah. There also might be some mention of drugs and about uh, alcohol and addiction. Mm -hmm. That's a possibility. If you feel like you can handle it, go ahead and come on and talk with us. If afterwards you feel like, or even during, you feel like maybe you weren't as ready as you thought you were, I would strongly recommend that if you have a therapist that maybe you contact your therapist. Also, if you happen to be the type that really picks up on other people's energy, we're processing this in real time. This literally just happened the day before recording, yesterday in our time. So if listening to us be emotional and raw is difficult for you because you will then be emotional and raw, we also encourage you to go ahead and turn it off. We don't want to bring you down, but we would love for you to be a part of this conversation if it's something you can go through. Yeah, and Netflix has a bunch of stand-up comedy you can go to feel better <laughs> afterwards. And Disney Plus is out, so have at it. <laughs> Hello, Polyam fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello, Polyam fam, and welcome to another discussion at Talk Your Poly Off. I'm Monsuda. And I'm Bella. And here we are. Ta-da. We're not talking about breakups like we said we would last week. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, the cool thing about polyamory is that you can plan and schedule and calendar all day long. And you can think that you've got it all together. And then something comes up and changes those plans. And I guess for us, that happened this week. I'm generally a very private person. You wouldn't believe that because here we are podcasting (laughs) and I typically try to handle my stuff myself to the best of my ability and I know that sometimes that causes maybe issue with you and I yeah because you're great at reaching out when you need your community and you're great at leaning on people because you know that when you get the opportunity, you allow people to lean on you, and they do. Right. And I know I do. I, on the other hand, am more than willing to let everyone on the planet lean on me, but I feel like I burden others, and I'm a bother when I lean on other people. Yeah. With that said, uh, the reason that we're changing our topic of discussion today is because I kind of want to talk about loss and grief in polyamory. And on the other hand, or other side of that, how to support a partner when they're dealing with loss and grief, or support multiple partners through it, however your polycule looks, or if you're monogamous, how it looks for you. Exactly. So, and the reason why this has become an issue, and this is the episode today, instead of our previously scheduled breakup episode, is because I got news this week that a girl that I have been getting to know for the last 14 months, Mm -hmm. and we've connected well when we connected, and we're at least growing a very solid friendship to the best of our ability... Well, she had passed away. Right. And while we weren't partners, the goal was to hopefully maybe kind of get there. Yeah. And even if not partners yet, there was still a a budding great friendship. Absolutely. And we were creating a very solid friendship over the last year. And uh, when we first got to talking, and, and she was talking to all three of us. Yeah. So her and you and I, mm-hmm. and we were making great friendships, and we've gotten a chance to hang out together. We've had some chats. We got to know 
her childhood story. Like, we really talked about some good stuff. Outstandingly crazy. It was. And she was such a sweet, sweet person. But we really, we got to know her. Right. And early on in that conversation, um, she openly and willfully admitted that she has an addiction issue. Mm -hmm. She would continuously update on her progress and... She's making strides, and she had hopes, and she had dreams, and she wanted to be a a dog trainer, and she had all these great plans on opening uh, a puppy farm, not for breeding puppies, but for training dogs Right. to do outstanding things. Right, and she was so cute, too. She'd post videos online all the time, getting her dog to do tricks, and all these things she was working on with her, her pup at home. And it was always pretty cool to watch. Right. Like we said, she mentioned that, you know, she talked about her childhood. And she was raised in uh, an extremely religious childhood. or A a Mennonite community. Right. It was a Mennonite community. She didn't really get the chance to explore the world. She had to follow all these extraneous rules. And when she became 18, she joined the military. Not just any military. She joined the Marines. Right. She walked her tiny four foot nine ass, her Mennonite sheltered sweetheart booty into a Marine office and signed up at 18. Right. And she served. And yeah. she did great. And then she came out of the military and the world was just so big and it was too big and there was so much and there was all these crazy things. And she was so trusting just trusting of the wrong people even years and years later and she i don't know how to say it she she lost her battle with addiction yeah now i kind of want to add that because of the upbringing and the lifestyle that she had before she became an adult and even as she was growing through adulthood she was just very cautious not to upset family or not to upset the balance of her world. Yeah. I think she was very private in some of her struggles because she didn't want people to worry. And she was private in the types of things that she was looking into, like polyamory. Right. She was excited to be a part of it. She understood the philosophies of it, and she was going to try to be involved in it. And she actually contacted us... Mm-hmm. And so initially we started out as like kind of tutors or guides. I was going to say kind of like mentors, yeah. And mm-hmm. she, when she came over and she had all kinds of questions, and that's when we realized I made a reference to the Little Mermaid, and she had no idea what I was talking about. And she didn't know what Disney movies were. And we, so we had to talk about that, and we found out too that the simplest things that most people learn in school, like what's World War Two. You know, how did this happen? Uh, She taught herself, and she'd watch documentaries and stuff on YouTube, and she would just sit down at a computer after the marine life and learn on her own. Right. But yes, she did. She kind of looked at us as, like, mentors in the beginning. Right, and because she didn't want to upset family, she kept that side of her life secret from them, in a way. And when I found out that she had passed away, you know, no no one from her public life told me right i just happened to see a post and i've checked it you know let me back up a little bit i knew from an early phase in our friendship that she was battling with addiction and i'd frequently check on her and you know there would be times where she wouldn't check her messenger for two weeks three weeks yeah because she's relapsing or whatever and it became kind of common for me to understand that when she could reach out, she would reach out. Mm -hmm. And she always did. Well, this last time, I sent her a message. And so I just kind of waited to see for her to do the contact thing. And and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And because she was a Marine during Veterans Day, you know, everyone's posting Veterans Day stuff. Right. I was noticing a trend in my feed where people are tagging her, and it seemed like a lot, even for veterans on Veterans Day. Right. And because I hadn't heard from her, I checked my messenger, I thought I'd check her profile, and it turned out that she had lost her battle 
couple of weeks before Veterans Day, so I never got any response from her because she'd already passed away. Right. And uh, that was a very surreal feeling. Uh, there was there was a lot of pain, a lot of confusion, definitely shock. Yeah, shock was the first one that you said to me. Yeah, I I spent the whole day kind of in this weird fishbowl trying to figure that out. Well, on top of it just being a friend and someone close, she's also very young. Very young. 29. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that the shock, it's so unexpected. Even with someone who was battling, she had so many future plans and was working really hard to get off the stuff she was on. So it was very shocking and out of the blue. Yeah. There were those feelings and we both were at a point in our life where we weren't sure that we were ready to partner, and so we were waiting right. until we were both ready. There was, like, intimate or emotional feelings toward that were similar to a partner. Yeah. Yours may have been more similar to a partner on the mm-hmm. friendship level with her. I think, for me, she almost fell into, like, a little sister category. Yeah. Where I just wanted to show her all the cool, happy, loving, amazing things in the world in a mentor way still. Like... She just was so innocent and hadn't seen all the amazing things that people could offer because she'd only met and seen the bad people. Right. Well, and strangely enough, she was really innocent on a lot of those aspects of life. Media, music, all that sort of thing. Like, just how people interact outside of certain cultures, right? But she had a lot of knowledge and real-world experience Mm -hmm. on some of the things that so many of us don't ever get. Right. I mean, imagine your only way of learning about the world is being in a war. Right. Well, and then then after that, she was learning about, I guess, probably the seedier or darker or more untrustworthy parts of life through connections that brought her to this place that finally took her right so it's it's really which is another thing that i just sit and and ruminate on because i just cannot imagine that's all your life is and i can't imagine the stress and the struggle on a daily basis that she probably was going through right but she still kept this super positive outlook and she still saw so much brightness in the rest of the world and it was even just her smile in, in her pictures yeah. and her videos. Such a huge smile, even though she was going through so much. It was incredibly astounding. Yeah. So with that and with the news that we've gotten and the, the feelings that we're feeling, it seemed like now is the most appropriate time to talk about loss and to talk about grief. Right. Especially when it comes to polyamory. And then like loss itself... We're not prepared for this show. Well, let's just sit down and kind of talk about how we're feeling and some tips and advice and things that we're going through. Yeah. And with that being said, I do want to say, you know, bear with us. It might be a little emotional. You're going to hear cracks in voices, all that jazz. So just be patient with us. If you don't want to listen to this episode, we understand. So here we are. We're talking about this as we're processing through it. And it seems like the most opportune time to talk about grief and loss. Mm -hmm. You're never ready for it. As you folks will all find out through the episode, because we're not ready for it. And in addition to feeling the personal pain of this loss and the personal feelings of this loss, it's also caused me to stop and think about how does loss work in polyamory and how does losing a loved one in any manner, especially in a near or full-on relationship manner affect polyamory or affect the people around you in your life when you are polyamorous. Right. I think my first reaction when you say that is that it's a ripple effect. It's funny you say that because when I was doing the notes for the breakup episode, I was actually doing ripple effect stuff for that. Yeah. So why don't you tell me what you're thinking about ripple effect when it comes to grief and loss? Well, I think when we're intertwined with multiple partners, even if it's like a mono-poly relationship, even if you've got multiple partners and I've only got you, 
but you deal with partner A having this loss and now it affects you and now it affects your partner B and C and me, you can see it spread out from the point of origin. Okay. You can see that partner, that person's loss is felt, which means your heart is breaking for that person, which means my heart is breaking for this person. And we all feel a little bit of that pain, even if we didn't know the person, because it's hurting people that we love. Yeah. So let's, let's come back to that because I think that that's a little further in the discussion after we've discussed some of the, the basic primary stuff. So let's talk about initial immediate loss. When you suddenly find yourself cold and frozen and paralyzed with confusion and questions because you've just realized that somebody who is important to you is never gonna be around in your life again. Right. That is, I mean, that's just a hard thing. I don't. I'm actually struggling to come up with some way to talk about this in a way that doesn't really break out emotionally. I mean, it's what happens when you hear about it, when you catch the word or you catch the news. It it, it paralyzes. Yeah, I I mean, it's. I think that's the shock setting in that you know this can't be. Didn't see it coming. Right. I think all those things are running through your head as you're frozen my first thought was this has got to be a fucking joke right but it wasn't a joke and though i was trying to find proof that it was all i kept finding was evidence that it wasn't so the first thing i did was the first thing i knew what to do is i went to my partner and I sent you a screenshot, and I was like, I don't, I, I'm in shock. I don't know what to do. Yeah, and the screenshot that you sent wasn't the big news post. Mm -mm. The screenshot was, like, the first thing you would come across or something. Yeah. You know, the like where you thought maybe they just missed their war friend. And because I was sneaking phone time, I was out in the warehouse. I wasn't in the repair lab with right. my boss. And I just had to, I just had to lean against something because... And all you said was, I'm shocked. I'm in shock. Right. I, I, my legs started shaking. I got queasy. I was blown away. And I don't know how better to say it. It was just so... Surreal. Yeah. And my first, as the receiving partner on that end, my initial thought is, I'm coming. I'm coming to get you. Like, I'm going to take off the rest of the day, and I'm going to come get you, and we're just going to go sit in a park somewhere or something. But right. of course he shut me down. He was like, well, no, I'm fine. And that's that's one of my downfalls is, is I try to take care of my responsibilities first because I know that I'm going to have time to process later. But it was strange. And the reason why I felt it was strange is because, sure, we were building a great friendship and we were building a great relationship. But at the end of the day we didn't get a lot of personal time together and, and there were plenty of times where there was a couple of weeks of silence right. while she was handling what she was handling. Yeah. Or canceled plans because her anxiety would get the best of her. Right. And she'd be too afraid to come out and socialize. Right. And it's funny because we talk about how we've moved to this new headquarters and we're, we're making changes in our life and stuff. And at the beginning of October, her and I were talking and I was like, oh, hey, we're moving, and we're moving closer to you, so we get to hang out more if you'd like. And she's like, I would love to do that. Where are you moving? So I told her the address. She actually Google Maps it and was like, oh, you're only a mile away from where we're at. And she sent a screenshot. She's like, I could, I could walk my dogs over there, and we could go for walks together, and we could do all these things. And, and like, we were making plans to spend time together in a casual environment that would have helped her anxiety and would have still worked towards her progress despite her personal struggles. Yeah. And, you know, we talked for a few days after that, as is generally the case. And it wasn't long after that that she had passed. Right. So these are all thoughts that kept running through my head. Like, oh, we just get closer and we're about ready to gear our relationship up a little bit. And she's gone. Right. And you just thought she disappeared because she had relapsed. You know, obviously we had no idea what had actually happened. And then we drove, we ended up driving through her neighborhood a week ago, maybe just a few days ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. 
And we were like, oh, man, like, I just haven't heard from her. And you're like, I'm going to reach out to her again. Right, and I did, and she never responded right. back. But that was after she'd already passed. Right, and we just didn't know. So all of these thoughts are, are racing through my head at work. And I just, like, the whole world, you know, I was a glass on a table, and someone ripped the tablecloth out from under me. I knew I had to finish the day. So, yeah, when you tried to come and get me in to console me, which I deeply appreciate and I absolutely love you for. And we would have pushed everything else off. I know. Via text, communication sucks. We all learn this in relationships in general. But when it's, you can't, we should have had a phone call. You can't hear tone, you can't hear anything. So when I get, you know, no, I'm fine. Like, okay, he must be fine. I don't, I can't tell how hard he's struggling with this. And he's usually pretty forward with me about his feelings while close to other people, perhaps. I, I usually say close, they're just not burdening other more people. More reserved with people. That works. I usually hear how he's doing. So even had he said, you know, we've got too much to do, I've got to work. I'm really struggling here, but I need to do this. I would have been like, no, fuck that. I'm, I clock out and I'll come get you. But the exchange that we had left me with the impression that he was doing okay. And I didn't follow up on anything. Well, and that's not a bad thing. I don't want you to feel like it was a bad thing because, I mean, ultimately I was doing okay. I mean, I'm fine. I'm, I'm hurting. Yeah. I'm struggling in the moment. I don't know what to do. It doesn't seem like I'm fine, but I know that with a bit of emotional work and with some processing and with some perseverance, I'm going to come out okay. Yeah. And I didn't want you to worry too much. I figured when we got the time to talk in person, we could. And I knew I could manage my emotions long enough to get there. So that's why I told you I was fine. I'm not trying to be like, no, it's all good. Don't worry about me. And I'm not trying to push that down and yeah. hide it. But I'm also aware that there's a time and a place to the best of your ability, which is probably something we should talk about next, is a time and place to fall apart. Yeah. If I've learned one thing in life, it's that there's always time to process for me. Make sure that I'm getting done what I need to get done in order to survive long term because a processing can happen at any given time. Yeah. And I will say right now, coming from me, the one who just said all of that, <laughs> it's not a healthy way to do it. <laughs> and it is something I'm working on. So a time and a place. So there's a time and a place. And so I guess I'm kind of backtracking what I just said a little bit. If you can manage what you're feeling, and we're talking about loss, we're talking about a death, a loved one is gone forever. There's no good way to manage that. Right. Internally. Like, it's never, oh, I totally got this. <laughs> There's no, like, do this, this, and this, and you'll be fine. Right. But if you can manage to hold on to something just long enough, and only just long enough, to make sure that you're getting the help you need. Take care of what you've got in the moment. I'm not saying hold on to it for 30 years. <laughs> or even 30 days. Or even 30 minutes if you can't. If you cannot hold on to it. Immediately seek some kind of counseling. That you need. That would help you in your situation. In some scenarios. You're going to be able to hold on to it enough. Or keep it together enough to... Get to your boss and say, hey, I just got this bad news and I really need to leave work and I've got to go. Right. And, and even if that's only five minutes, make sure that you're putting a pause or a pin in your moment so that you can take care of what you need to take care of. Right. Because you don't know how long you're going to fall apart. Right. And I'm not, I'm not ever going to try to tell anybody that you're not allowed to grieve publicly or openly. I'm not trying to say that you don't want people to see your emotions. You're a human being and you have feelings and you have emotions and you're valid in those. Yeah. Take care of those. Everyone processes it differently. Yeah. But if you don't want to 
show them publicly and you can stick a pin in it, get to your car, you know, or wait the drive home until you're in a safe space at home for if you want, prefer that. Well, and it's not even if you don't want to show them publicly. I mean, we have a day-to-day life. Yeah. The mourning process, all the shock, every swirl of emotion that comes up with a gigantic life change, that's going to take over. If you can manage yourself and process process yourself in a way that allows you to ensure that knowing that you're about to lose it all or have a fallout, that you still have a long term. You still have to make sure that you're employed. You still have to make sure that you're... Like as a father, if we've lost a family member, as hard as it is for me, the children would need a support. Right. And I'm not saying as a father specifically. I'm saying as a parent. Yeah. Whoever it is that's the guardian of the child... You just happen to be a father. ...is the anchor for that child. Yeah. I just happen to be the father, yeah. And there have been times. I mean, you're going to lose family. You're going to lose somebody, Mm -hmm. even if it's the family pet. Right, which is huge. It's like another child. And it's especially huge for a child who hasn't experienced the death of a human person. Right. So... In some ways, you need to figure out how to anchor yourself so that your reality doesn't just spin out of control. And I could get a lot of flack for that. But I'll stand by that till my dying day. Yeah. Because life does go on after you lose somebody. And it doesn't feel like it in the moment. But in a year or five years or however long it takes for you to come to terms with that, you still have to do responsibility stuff right so i'm not saying hide your feelings i'm not saying don't let co-workers see all i'm saying is manage it long enough to finish what you got going on put a stop in your job put a put a pin in everything let someone know that you need to go home let someone know it's an emergency and then take care of your business yeah that's all i'm trying to say yeah so that's what i think about the time and the place And in that way, you find your place where you can feel most comfortable, where you can feel vulnerable, or where you have a great support system, and you can just lose your ever-loving shit. Yeah. And on that note, when someone does seek your support, whether they're in your polycule or not, and maybe you're not the one experiencing the loss, like, how do you actually support your partner when they're going through a devastating loss. If you're not used to supporting a partner through a devastating loss, you might not know what to do. So I did find on psychcentral.com seven tips for supporting your partner after a devastating loss. Number one is to commiserate. It's surprisingly difficult to do, but when your partner starts talking about all the negative emotions they're feeling, your instinct will be to jump in and say, hey, everything is fine, it's great, but that's not going to actually solve anything and can make your partner feel like you're not validating what they're going through. So instead, three words, I hear you. That's fantastic. I guess the first thing I would say is I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. How can I support you? And that's what we've learned through our journey in this bettering personal development, bettering ourselves thing. Right. We're better with our communication. But a lot of people won't have the mental wherewithal when confronted with a loved one saying, I just had someone pass away. They're not going to be necessarily prepared to say, how can I support you? What do you need? I'm so sorry. So being able to just say, oh my God, that's awful lets the person know that they're okay to feel shit. True. Pro tip, don't say that sucks. (laughs) That's awful sounds much better than that sucks. Uh, Number two, they say recognize that you can't fix everything. This goes hand in hand with number one. Commiserating is important, but it's also important that you don't try to project plan your partner to death. If they're overcome by pain, it's not always constructive to say, quote, we can fix this. We can make this better. This is what we can do. End quote. They just have to live through the bad parts. That's not normally an easy solution to grief. While your intentions are admirable, just remember that not everything can be fixed. Occasionally, you just have to endure the bad stuff and until the hurt goes away. I have to make a confession. <laughs> yeah. I'm horrible at that one. Me too. I'm a fixer by nature. Me too. 
and I'm still trying to figure out how to listen more and to work more toward supporting without fixing. It's not an easy road. It's the first thing you want to do because you care so much about this person. You don't want to see them in pain. You don't want to see them hurting. You want to help them process through and get through it. Right. From personal experience, I will say that people need to process. People need to grieve. People need to feel that loss so that they can feel resolution so that they can move forward. If you're trying to rush them through the painful hurt, if you're trying to rush them through those feelings of loss or grief or pain, you're not providing enough space for them to do what they need to do to adequately handle their feelings. And it's a huge lesson and it's so hard to learn and it's counterintuitive to helping your partner. Right. But it's probably one of the most important things to know in that moment. Right. Well, I mean, that's, you know, you come home and you're like, oh my God, I got this terrible news that I lost this person today. And most people's first reaction is, oh my God, let me do this, this, and this. Let me, Mm -hmm. let me get this for you. Let me make this for you. Let's go sit in the hot tub. Let's do all these things. And we've learned over time in communication in general to stop offering the fix and that's when you ask how can i support you what do you need right instead of just this that's the same thing even the smallest thing in communication someone jumps online to vent about something and we all jump to giving advice and maybe they don't want advice maybe they just needed to vent well and if we're going to sidetrack on that because i'm going to yeah (laughs) is that If you go online to post an issue, and this is not related specifically to grief and loss, but you can do it for that as well. But if you go online to post a struggle you're having, be mindful of the advice you're getting. Because the people who are providing input don't know the entire picture. They're getting one fraction of the whole of the situation. Especially if you just went there to vent, and maybe you weren't as detailed with everything. Like... You were just putting this little piece of it out there, and now you're going to get unsolicited advice because people want to fix and help. They don't know the whole story. And the other side of that coin is if you are online and say you're in a polyamory group or any other kind of group, and you see someone venting, one of the first things I'd recommend is ask what they're looking for. And the second thing I'd recommend strongly... is to understand that you're just getting a portion of the whole view. You're getting one or two or five puzzle pieces of a thousand-piece puzzle. Right. You're not seeing the whole picture, so be mindful of the advice you provide because you might be giving advice that would work in a scenario that you're imagining but isn't working in the scenario that they have in their personal life And you might be doing more damage than good. So always be mindful of the advice you give in person, online. Take your time and try to not make assumptions or judgments. And try to look at an overall picture in general. Right. Because you never know what the whole thing is. Right. Okay, that was a soapboxy thing. I apologize. Back off the the tangent over here. Let's go ahead and... So, supporting a partner with massive loss, commiserate, support, don't fix. Number three, hold their hand. It's a simple act, but it can mean so much. Just sit with your partner, touch them, hold them, put their hand in yours. Let them know that you're there for them without ever saying a word, because sometimes they don't need to hear words. They just need to feel the warm body of someone who loves them sitting by their side. And we've experienced this even with just making up after a fight or something like that. The simple act of walking up and putting your hand on your partner so they can feel your energy, so they can feel your love, it eases all the tension in the world. Well, I will say that I know that you guys think that we never fight. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that. Stop laughing. I can't. (laughs) We're talking here. Well, we get a lot. We, we hear it from, from friends and We are super people. close, yeah. and we are super lovey, 
and a lot of people are like, you guys are always adorable. Sometimes we fucking are not. We just don't post it online. <laughs> right. Well, and the one thing that has helped in our relationship has been those moments where when one of us is struggling, the other one just provides physical support. This tip for helping with the grieving process is colossal. And for me, uh, first off, touch is my primary love language. Right. If I can just take a moment and hold somebody, I can feel that person. And I can feel the love or the care. And that diffuses a good portion of the struggle I'm having in the moment. Because yesterday was so busy and because there was so much going on, we didn't get the chance to actually do that. I had a lot of stuff I still needed to do yesterday and couldn't get that personal time with you. It was so hard. It was so hard to have a loss happening and not have time with the partner. But today, sitting with this strange news and because I couldn't reach out to family because I was the secret, which is, again, something that we'll be addressing later, I didn't have any way to really fully process. When you got home, I got home earlier in the day and I'm doing dishes and I'm cleaning house. And the second that you got to walk by me, I got to latch on to you. And that was the first time since getting this news at all that I felt like anything was okay. So touch is, whether touch is your primary language or not, just being able to hold someone or be held by somebody is such a comfort and such a reassurance. Well, and see, it's funny too, because yesterday when you got home from your night with your wife, mm -hmm. I, I did hug you at the fridge. Very first thing, I came out of the hall and you were at the fridge looking for food and I came right up and hugged you. Yeah. But you were still in processing mode. I was numb. Or something, yeah, to the point where you didn't feel it. I, I don't understand what I'm feeling. Well, I was numb from the loss of our friend. Right. I didn't get the chance to focus on my feelings or my needs because I was taking care of the needs of somebody else. Right. I was still struggling with trying to process through what I needed to process through because that was the closest I had to any time of being able to take care of me yeah. instead of taking care of somebody else. Yeah, well, I think that all comes down to the, the communication, too. And are, are you ready for any of this? Do you still need time? You know, that kind of a thing. Right, so what else do we have? Uh, so number four, run interference for them. Basically, if your partner is struggling with loss, make it your job to reduce the stress in their life in any way you can. You know the things that stress them out. Throw yourself in front of those stressful bullets. Take a few for the person that you love. So number five is to ask if they even want to talk about it. And if they say no, listen to them. Check in from time to time to see if they feel like talking. But if they don't, don't push the issue. Don't pressure them. Offer yourself as a sounding board if they need it. And if they don't need it or don't want it, don't get offended. It's about them, not you. Yeah. I think that was something that we did today. I knew you were still struggling today. So we have this, for the listeners out there, we have this magnetic connection. Yeah, we do. Call it what you want. It's like our souls know each other from another life. Magnetic connection. Yeah. I knew you were still struggling. I can feel it. Because on the supporting partner's end... It feels like there's distance. It feels like I'm being pushed away as the support while you're processing because you uh -huh. need your own time and space to do what you're doing. And as the supporting fixer, all I want to do is smother you. Right. And you're kind of keeping me at arm's length for whenever you're ready. Yeah. And that is so hard to manage on the supporting end because it's like, I don't understand. What did I do wrong? He always wants me. I don't know why he doesn't need me now. So it's a really strange dynamic to process through as well. Add to it in our in our specific situation. I have a loss of a friend in it. But I'm going to push. It's not as close as yours. Right. So I don't want to even bring it up aside from just mentioning it on the podcast because it's something other people might experience. 
because I want to so badly just support you through what you're feeling. Right. And that's that's probably another thing that we should be bringing up in detail. Do you have more? Um, or is that one it? Ask if they want to talk about it. Pick up the slack. So do what you can to reduce the number of things they have to worry about in the day. And number seven is just love them. And like, no kidding, right? But it means a lot. It means everything. Just find quiet moments to reaffirm to your partner that you really, truly love them and that you're there for them. It can make a huge difference. Okay. Okay, so let's jump to that part of the discussion. Whether it's polyamory or monogamy or just life, you're not the only one that's going to feel this loss and you're not the only one struggling. And there are going to be times where as much as you are struggling, like the reference I gave about the children earlier, that you also need to be an anchor for somebody. And I know that in this scenario specifically, I've been a bit selfish with my needs because I did feel a pretty strong connection with her. And I know that you and her were also friends and I probably could have been more supportive of you. So how would that work in this scenario? What, what are some things that you could see that would be good advice or a good way to manage through some of that? I mean, I think what would have helped me a bit more is even just being asked how I'm doing. And in, again, in this situation, I was putting it to the side and I was okay putting it to the side because you were struggling more and harder and had a second component following up with the loss that made it harder. So while I, like, I was okay putting all that aside, I didn't want to bring it up or make it a big deal or even mention it because I'd process on my own. My love language isn't touch. So once we helped you process through things, I know you'd be there for me in the ways that I need. So it was a very different processing on my end to try and stick that aside, not bury it because I want to, you know, come back to it and process, but I needed to be like you had mentioned with the father or the parent with the kids. Right. I needed to be the parent here and manage someone who was having stronger feelings at this time. Okay. It was all very strange. It was a very weird day. Okay, so first off, understand everybody that w what we're doing is we're kind of processing live in the moment and that because we've, we're unprepared for all of this, we don't have this show scripted and we don't have it set up and <laughs> we weren't ready for any of this at all. This is just us being raw. So I want to say that I acknowledge what you're telling me and I'm sorry that I was being as selfish as I was and that I was focusing on my needs and I do acknowledge that you're struggling also. I know. I know that you take care of everyone else in your life. I know that. You're there. You're everybody else's rock. But I get to be your rock. That's a burden. I'm sorry. It's not a burden. No, it is. I've been your rock for only three years, but for three years. Coming up on three years. I like being your rock. And for the most part, I do okay being strong and I can hold up another rock. So I don't mind waiting to process my grief while I help you with yours. That's okay. The simple acknowledgement goes a long way. It does. I don't want you to feel like you have to push yours down all the time. Because I know you do that. Push all your stuff to the side just to take care of everybody else. Well, I acknowledge your feelings. And however I can support you when you're ready, please let me know. Ice cream and snuggles and pizza and TV and pinky. I can do that. I know. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we've talked a lot about loss and grief. Let's talk about the stages of that okay. really quick. One of the main references for understanding what loss and grief is comes from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote of the five stages a dying person goes through in her book On Death and Dying in 1969. It's commonly referred to even if a lot of people don't understand where it came from and those five stages are denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance 
I mean, we we can talk in detail about each and every one, but I think that a lot of them are self-explanatory. Right. You, the denial, it's like when I found out that our friend had passed, my first thought was, this is a fucking joke. Right, there's like, no way. There's no way. Don't believe it. And then the second is anger. Like, for a moment I was like, this is going to sound really shitty, but for a brief moment, I was like, why didn't she just fucking contact me? you're angry you're upset like why didn't anyone contact me why did i have to find out this way so the third one is bargaining and that's that's where you try to make deals you know let her live and i'll be a better person all right you know just bring her back right and then and then the fourth one is depression and that's when you start realizing for sure that none of the first three did anything and it still happened and now you have to sit in that hurt and you have to sit in that pain and then the the last one is the one that sometimes takes before you go on to the last one yeah the depression part of this isn't a bad depression sometimes to me because we have to feel that stuff we have to feel the loss and the pain and the hurt and all these things that go with the loss of a person especially someone we're close to in love I think it's a lot more of the coming to terms with what's happened feelings. Trying to understand, realizing that you're never going to be able to have another conversation. Right. You're never going to be able to spend another minute of your time with this person and letting that sink in. It's that moment when all of the hopes of knowing otherwise finally fall and you realize this is the life you live in now. Right. This is the moment you have to realize that it's true and no amount of anger or denial or bargaining or any of that is going to change it it's true and now you have to sort through your feelings of what this is going to be or what you feel about it all right so for me referring back to stupid disney the one thing that i can like vividly remember is her not knowing disney movies yeah And Disney's a huge part of my life. Yeah. Take a minute. It's okay. It's hard. I understand. I just want to show her a Disney movie. Yeah. So coming to the realization that this stupid streaming movie service is out, And I can't even show her The Little Mermaid. It's the dumbest thing. It's not. But, like, the movie, right? Like, oh, it's just The Little Mermaid. Everyone's seen The Little Mermaid. She's nearly, was nearly 30 and had never seen it. And so I was so excited to bring her over at some point and get to show her these things from my childhood that she should have experienced. So it's realizing that those little stupid, silly moments... Aren't gonna happen. You need to stop using the word stupid. But whatever you, you use it all day. They're valid. So then, after all the depression is hitting, and you're working through it, and there comes a point, no matter what time it is, and no matter how long it takes, that the acceptance happens, and that's the fifth stage, and that's when you can start having your transformation into letting that reality of the moment become a reality of your life and knowing that i don't know i guess there's no knowing that anything but basically you're coming to terms with it and you're learning how to move forward in your life with this catastrophic change right you're gonna you're gonna live your life with that that tiny little hole I think we get little tiny holes for everyone that we lose. Yeah. You know, you'll always remember them and you'll always think of them, but you're going to move on and continue your life. And I think that if I could be a little, what do you call it, woo-hoo? <laughs> a little woo-woo? <laughs> Is that every little tiny hole that you get in your heart from a breakup or a loss or a struggle slowly makes your heart porous and while at one moment you think that you're getting all these holes and you're getting less heart what's really happening is that 
your heart's becoming porous and it's becoming a more receptive sponge for what love is. That's really pretty. And you're finding ways to grow and to mature and to feel that you didn't have before all of these bad experiences. I think it opens us up as well to the idea of not letting moments go, right? Yeah. So I think about my Disney stuff, right? Yeah. And things I want to share with people in my life in general, be it Disney or something else, stuff I want to share. Well, this tiny little hole, making my heart a little more porous, will always be there to remind me of all the, of the love that I can share. And it opens it up to receive more. Yeah. And it's, it's a painful process. That's an absolute, that's a painful process. But it's a process that helps a person learn to grow and love and appreciate what's there. And to realize that it's not always going to be there. So you cherish it while you have it. And... I didn't serve with her and I didn't grow up in the Mennonite church with her and I didn't know her through her, her days of substance abuse but for the moment that she was a part of my life that I was a part of her life as brief as it might have been it was serious and it was in depth and it was enough that it impacted me in a way that I'm always going to carry her with me. Right. And I'm always going to learn more new ways to love and appreciate the people in my life. And it's a terrible reminder, but it's a <laughs> reminder that, that you never know how long you have someone before they're gone. Right. And while they don't get to continue their journey on this planet, they do get to continue on in your heart and in your memories and they get to live on in that manner real quick going back to the anger mm -hmm. I think I'm also angry about the whole thing because the fact that we didn't know until nearly a month later we didn't get to go to any service we're a polyamory podcast we talk about multiple relationships and that's a super big part of this conversation that I want to have yeah so what you're talking about right now is one of the things that's kind of hit me so hard in all of this is that, yeah, she had various facets of her life. We all do. Like different friend groups. Different friend groups, her family. You can't be open with certain people and that sort of thing. So then this brings us to what loss and grief looks like in the world of polyamory. And there's a couple of different facets of loss and polyamory that I would like to cover. And one of them is what you're discussing now. Because of the fact that she felt that she had to keep polyamory secret. Mm -hmm. And she had to keep that part hidden from family. Family didn't know to tell some of us. Right. And they wouldn't have understood anyway. Right. So, no. We didn't get to know. And that's because we were kept secret for fear of what would happen if they found out. And which is so sad because at this point, we're just friends. She couldn't even share these friendships because and say we met online because she was so afraid of what they would say. But when it comes to the service, like, we've been to a another service where we lost a polyamory friend yeah and we, their family knew and we got to go speak at their service right her daughter asked me to speak at her funeral yeah and so i'm thinking about this one and i'm just like man like we only knew her for 14 months but would her family have liked to have heard some of the things that we knew and thought about her like wouldn't they have liked to hear that we only have a picture of her as this bright, shiny, happy, bubbly-go-lucky person. Wouldn't they have liked to know that? Right. But because she had to keep this part secret, they're never going to hear any of this. Well, and that's the thing. And that's what brings us to loss and grief and polyamory in relationships. Is that there's potentially going to come a time in 
any polyamorist's life where, I mean, we all kind of set ourselves up for that, right? If you're developing more intimate relationships than maybe a monogamous person, then the chances of you losing a loved one is also increased. Right. And if you're not out in polyamory, if you're not able in your in your mind or in your heart to be able to share these things publicly or with family or close friends, then your partner doesn't get the opportunity to be a part of that grieving process. Right. Your partner doesn't get to be a part of that life of all these other people that knew someone that you know intimately. Right. They're all celebrating this person and you have to stand as an outsider because you can't share and celebrate with them. What you have with a person, if you're opening your life up to be intimate and emotionally connected and vulnerable with the person, and if that person does pass, at what point does a polyamorist who had to be a secret, at what point does that person learn how to heal or how can that person heal? I think it comes down to community at that point. A community that understands having to be a secret community that understands family not accepting them. So then the other aspect uh, before the emotions come out too hard (laughs) is just like when you're a polyamorist and you go through a breakup. Say I have three partners and I break up with a partner. The people who do not live a polyamorous lifestyle don't understand the genuineness of love that you have for each of your partners or the genuineness of care or affection or whatever level you have of it. It's still painful and it's still a loss in some way or another. But the people who are outside of the polyamory lifestyle don't often seem to get that. They don't get that each relationship is its own genuine emotional bridge. You'll hear it a lot, right? Having multiple partners is similar to having multiple kids. You love each one differently, but you love them all. There is no this one's better than this one kind of a thing. So would you ever tell a parent who lost a child, oh, you lost that one, but you've still got these two kids. You're fine. Hey, on the bright side, you still have little Timmy and little Sally, so it's cool. Like, that's not a thing. There's still love lost. Yeah. People don't get it who live outside of this way. And it's something that I've actually been struggling with because I still have to go to work and I still have to do my thing. And no, she didn't live with me. And no, we weren't intimately connected. But there was still that fondness that comes with a budding relationship. And and I don't know how to process and I don't know how to deal in a way that I can be open with it to people outside of the polyamory community. How do I set that up to a way that someone understands? Because I don't think that in a lot of ways people will. I mean, in general... Love the people who are around. Support your loved ones. Support each other. Yeah, ultimately, I feel like what it comes down to, and if if we could learn to harness or brush off our compassion stuff, is that a loss is a loss. And people grieve differently at different levels, regardless of connection. Yeah. Sometimes when people don't understand that polyamory isn't just a bunch of people wanting to have sex with random strangers, they don't get the care and affection and love that goes into building the relationships that we build. Love is love, and care is care, and it doesn't matter what any kind of dynamic is, and it doesn't care what extenuating relationships there are, A loss is still a loss. So if you're feeling loss and if you're feeling grief, don't ever silence that to make someone else's ability to hear it more comfortable because you and only you understand the connection or the bridge you have with this person who's no longer there. Yeah. And 
we aren't here to try to make other people's life easier at the expense of our own feelings and at the expense of our own hearts. I think that in general, we as human beings should try to make each other's lives easier because we should all be growing together, but never at the expense of your own soul. I don't know that aside of the tips that you shared that we really covered how to process. Well, I think everybody processes differently. The tips that I shared are ways to support someone processing it. And I think the biggest takeaway from that is asking them what they need and and being there for them, holding that safe space for them. As far as processing it goes, I think everyone's different. Yeah. And some people might want space and they want to go cry in their room for a couple days. You know, some people might want to stay busy and active and keep their brain off of it until they can process that feeling everyone's going to be different in processing so it's really just trying to be in tune i think with what you need you know do you need a sick day to lay in bed all day and feel free to cry then take that day and this is definitely one of those times where i'd recommend jumping back to our self-care episode Uh, i think we've done two of them we've done two self-care yeah check those out because those also might be a good way to help you process when you end up coming to terms with a loss. And please, we've said it already, and we'll say it again, reach out to a professional, find a counselor, find someone, a grief counselor to talk to. Uh, Don't let it become so overwhelming that you don't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Reach out and get professional help. Professional help is essential for processing. There are things in a person's life where we're not going to know how to deal with things and we're not trained to deal with these things. We don't have the tools. It could be from a lack of training and upbringing. It could be that society tries to brush the hard stuff under the rug because that's too much for a person to handle. But when you feel it, there's no stopping it. So absolutely get counseling get therapy, rely on your community, rely on friends and family if you have that opportunity, and and be okay with processing without apologizing. You shouldn't be sorry for struggling. You are never need to be sorry for struggling, ever. Your feelings are valid. No matter what they are, they're your feelings. And if someone doesn't understand that, then that's on them. Yep. It's not on you. And their their inability to understand is not your problem. We will provide some extra links in the show notes. And some resources for and, you to reach out to. And we will even post some links for national counseling or maybe try to reference some There's some phone apps Mm -hmm. where you can actually text and call a therapist. Yeah. I think that those things are great tools. Do your self-care. Do what you need to do to come to terms with your feelings of loss. and, And be okay with processing. And take the time you need in order to do it so that you can grow from it and... So that when you are moving forward again with your life, you can do it with feelings of closure, relief. You can carry the memory in a way that doesn't make you fall apart every time. And that might take a super long time, and that's okay. It's always okay. We're really glad that you stuck around today to listen and literally go through the process with us again we're dealing with this in real time these are real emotions and this wasn't the easiest episode to record but we thought others might benefit from it as well and i will also be making sure that we've got in the show notes sources to help you or a loved one partner manage dependency issues and substance abuse because that's a real issue that many of us struggle with. It's close to home. Whether directly or indirectly. If you're not doing it, 
you love someone who's doing it or you know someone who's doing it and any any opportunity to get or give help is a good opportunity and we just want to make sure that everyone's taking care of themselves the best they can we love you and we appreciate you sticking around and listening today Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsada. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepoly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And, and love, love without, without limits. limits.